0: Um, And what you might notice is me not specifically saying the name of the country that I was at, um, but it is the same country that you just saw this video about. And so when I was reflecting on this trip, um, and you'll hear throughout this report of what God was doing in this country, there are so many stories from the Bible that were shared. Um, There was so much about Jesus that got to be shared to Muslims, um, the truth of who he is. Um, But there was one passage that kind of continually stuck out to me, and that is a story from Acts, um, Acts chapter 10. And so if you would be willing to turn with me, if you have a Bible or a phone, um, to Acts chapter 10, that's right after the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then Acts. Um, I would like to look at Acts chapter 10. First, we're going to look at verses 1 through 5, and that's also up on the screen if that's a little bit easy for you. Bit easier. Um, So that's Acts chapter 10, verses 1 through 5. I'll just read this together. Um, At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. He and all his family were devout and God fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear and said, what is it, Lord? The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon who is called Peter. And so we see uh, this man, the centurion, um, who feared God. He was someone who gave generously, and he prayed regularly, and yet he hadn't had the opportunity to accept Christ as his savior. And then uh, in the story as we go through, it flips to Peter's perspective, and what happens in the middle is um, God gives him a vision and tells him, do not call anything impure that God has made clean And after getting that vision, Simon goes to the centurion's house where he is called, and here in Acts, uh, still chapter 10, verses 34 through 36, we get this message. So if you'd look at verses 34 through 36 with me in the same chapter, it says, Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. And so what I found as I read this story was that the description of the centurion was so similar to so many people in the population that I was working with And specifically, these young adult students that I was ministering to were so similar to the Centurion. They were good and kind people, the Muslims and the Christians. They gave generously whenever they could. They served as much as they could. Um, They were praying every day, the Muslims five times a day, the Christians multiple times a day, and they were seeking to know God in a deeper way. So it became clear very quickly that God was also desiring every individual to grow closer to him throughout these two weeks. And um, like the centurion, God had been preparing every student's heart long before this English village camp started, long before any ministry that I got to be a part of or any missionary who was there. Um, God had clearly already been working in families and in lives, and it was beautiful to see that it doesn't rely on us in any way, but relies entirely on God. And so throughout my two weeks in the specific ministry and my time there overall, I was continually reminded of God's heart for the unreached people, as well as God's heart for his church. Um, And I found that things were happening in small ways because it seemed like God was using every small conversation to plant seeds that Jesus is Lord of all, that he is more than just a prophet, but also that God is attainable. He is something that you can, and he's a, a person you can interact with. He is not so far away and so impossible to reach. Um, And so just some examples of that. Um, One thing that could be really difficult whenever I was doing this kind of like full-time, 24-7 ministry was that you would go to go to sleep at night and you were still on because you were surrounded by all of your Muslim friends who still wanted to talk. Um, and it was a little tiring to be ready to go to sleep, to be ready to be done with your day, but also to still be looking out for opportunities. But what I found was that we kind of had some like of our best opportunities during pillow talk hours. So it's like 10 or 11 o'clock at night and we're getting ready to go to bed and we would just turn to each other on these like mattresses on the floor and my friend asked me, my Muslim friend, her name is Liz. She looked at me and she said, So what's the difference between the way that we pray? <laughs> and I was like, Wow, that's a great question. Like we can turn the lights back on for that question. <laughs> that's that's a really good one. And so, just this random question. this random seeking of understanding one another better. She was able to share with me how Muslims pray and they seek to submit themselves, to completely humble themselves in the face of God, which is why you see them bowing so constantly, and it's very ritualistic. Um, And I was able to share that there are certainly times and places where we practice submission and we humble ourselves before our great and mighty God but that we can also share our hearts with him, that we are able, he is able to relate to us because we believe in Jesus who walked on earth. And so I can share my problems with God. I can be walking down the street and I can be praying to him at the same time. I can be bowed down and be completely submissive to him and his will, but I can also be standing and cheering and just lifting up the name of God because I love him. He is like a father to me. And that was an amazing way to get to share with her um, about who God is. Another thing that we did during English Village um, was we gave everybody a prompt for an essay, and we said, who is God to you? Is God your friend? And so I had one uh, young Muslim woman approach me and ask for some help with her paper as she was writing it. Um, And her name was June, and she was like, okay, who is God to you? God is on high. God is king. He is in heaven. Um, God is not my friend. He's too far away. God is too big to be my friend. And I'm not a good enough person to be friends with God. And that was the overall stance of our Muslim friends whenever they looked at this. So, This is young adults who are so desperate to know God, who are worshiping him every day, who are saying, but he'll never be my friend. I will never be good enough. I'll never be enough in any way. And so there, we get to meet her. And I actually shared with her from John 15 that Jesus said, I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. And so we were able to stop there and say, for us, it's really different. For us, we have this new connection to God through Jesus. And so we do get to be called his friend. When I look at God, I see him as my father and as my friend and as my king and it all works together to create this relationship between us and these were completely new concepts to so many of these young adults. And there was so much curiosity and interest that was continually sparked as we went through. Um, So while these students were very curious um, and they were very devout, Um, They loved others well. They were also deeply impacted by the spiritual oppression that is often seen in places that don't have the light of Jesus as available in churches and believers like we see here. And so like I said, this was an unreached people group was the majority that we were working with, but we also had Christians Um, from that country who came from other islands and a lot of other areas who were excited to get to share a little bit about their faiths because they would mostly be considered a very minority group, almost a a persecuted group in a lot of areas. So what we found throughout the week was that many of these young adults were struggling deeply with mental health issues Um, To the point that there were a few young adults that came to us and confessed that before coming to this English village camp, they had had thoughts of suicide, that they had been in very real places of pain and torment and didn't know how to move forward. Um, And so we met with two young Muslim women who struggled with this, um, and this isn't a country where you would be able to find a counselor or do the kind of typical work that... uh, We would do here in America whenever we see this, but we were able to share with them the hope of Jesus and help them find safe people in their lives, places that they could go whenever they felt this way. And we felt very confident that we had left behind seeds of the hope that comes with Jesus. But one of the biggest ways God worked was actually in our time with a young man from a different island in Indonesia who felt that he had been called to be a pastor and a missionary. Um, He wanted to learn English because he wanted to be able to do the things that God had called him to. And so whenever he arrived, that was one of the first things that he shared with everybody was, I love Jesus Christ I want to share him (laughs) openly with more people, and I think that I need to learn English to be able to do that. I think that I need to learn English to be able to study theology better. I just feel that I need to commit myself to this time. And so we were really excited for him, and then a few days in, he sat down with... Um, Me and a male counselor and then one of another uh, female Christian uh, friends um, and admitted to struggling with this just severe suicidal ideation with fear and with loneliness. Um, And so we took that time to listen to him and to hear the things that he had been through. Um, He had been called from a very young age, and he had actually left his family to be able to pursue this calling. And he'd seen a lot of success. At 18 years old, he was standing in front of crowds and preaching in this country. And he even showed us some videos that people had taken of him that were beautiful. He was doing amazing work. There were people coming forward asking uh, to be saved, and there was amazing things happening. And then he said that one day he was struck with fear that he had begun to value the things that God had given him over God himself, which is a healthy and important conviction, because the blessings that God gives us are beautiful, but they aren't everything. Jesus is everything. But in that place, he began to let that fear seep in, and to control him, and he completely stepped back from ministry, he began hiding and saying, I just wanna study, I don't wanna stand up and preach again, no matter how many times God called him out, he continued to say no. And as that fear took root, um, he began to struggle with suicidal ideation, and the loneliness began to feel deeper, and he felt that he couldn't talk to anybody, and so we listened to his story, and we spent time praying over him, affirming that he truly was called by God to do these things. There was evidence there that he was worthy regardless and that he didn't need to let fear control his life because he could stand on the authority of Jesus. Unlike so many of our other friends there, he was able to stand on that firm hope, not only of salvation, not only of the blessed assurance of uh, eternal life in heaven, but that there was hope and joy in this life now, that he didn't need to be afraid of what other people thought. And in that time of prayer, and in that time of him being willing to bring all of his stuff into the light, of being completely open with other believers, it was like we instantaneously saw God put his hand on this man's shoulder and just heal him. And it was so beautiful that we saw that as he was just slumped over and couldn't make eye contact with us and telling us all of these things that he had been through, as we prayed over him, his shoulders started to lean back and he started to nod and cry and smile and said he was so excited because he felt called again, that God hadn't given up on him, that after sharing and giving it all to God, there was healing and there was life, and there was love, and he was then able to use that story to minister to our Muslim friends who had been struggling in the same way. Um, And then we saw, oh man, we saw so many amazing things. I'm sorry. Um, But the other biggest story um, that I'd like to share with you, is about God's work in the lives of June, who I mentioned earlier, and Hannah. And so these were two um, Muslim young women. Uh, and the way that he revealed himself specifically to them as a God of mercy and a God of peace, um, which were actually our subjects the last two days of our interfaith discussion. And, um, So what had happened was we had decided we wanted to do a service project, a pretty typical we're going to go out and we're going to pick up trash, but we also want to be really intentional about continuing to have interfaith discussions, about continuing to talk about God and who he is. And so we did our best to split up and to send a Christian and a Muslim out together. Um, God had put two young women on my heart and I was... Uh, very blessed to be paired with them and to be sent out to collect trash with them for a few hours. And as we were walking, um, I asked if they would be willing to share with me a story from their scripture about mercy. And so my friends shared a quick story um, and we moved on and they were like, oh, would you share a story with us? And I thought immediately about mercy and what had been on my heart um, was the way that Jesus handled the woman who committed adultery. And so, if you remember the story, it's this woman who is getting ready. Well, she is laying on the ground, and she is about to be stoned by all of these religious leaders who have surrounded her because she has been caught in the act of adultery. And Jesus says, "Let you who um, has no sin cast the first stone." <laughs> and every single leader walks away and Jesus tells her that she can stand up, sin no more, and that she has been forgiven. And so I tell this story and I actually pull it out and we read it in English and we read it in Indonesia or in Indonesian and we weren't doing the best job of picking up trash. I'll be completely honest. Um, but as we were reading through it, I could just see the looks of amazement on their faces because their culture is so much more similar to what we see in the Bible than what we would see in America. And so it was pretty normal, maybe not for women to be stoned, but for women who got pregnant, out of wedlock for women who did cheat on their husbands to be completely ostracized from their family, to be completely left by their communities. Um, And so to think that Jesus would be willing to show mercy on a woman like that was unreal to them. And so as we continued talking, I continued sharing, and we talked about the entire gospel message, the reason that we have this hope, And we were able to share all of that with them by the empowerment of the Holy Spirit alone. And as we got to the end, um, this girl June, she looked at me and she said, someday I'm going to have kids and I want them to have the choice. I want them to be able to choose if they're going to be Muslim or if they're going to be Christian. I want them to have that kind of freedom. I was like, that's so beautiful. In this country, you are born into a religion, and that is it. And she was saying, I don't want that for my kids. And so I asked her, is that something that you could have? Could you become a Christian? Is that something that you could choose, that you could change? And she said, no. I was born a Muslim. I could never let my family down. I couldn't leave this faith, this religion, this is a part of who I am, this is my culture, this is my identity. And there's just this terribly real moment of seeing people who are seeking God, of seeing people who hear the stories of Jesus and are excited and they're interested and they recognize that there's something more there, but they're also so confined by the bounds of their culture. And of families and of places where you just can't be a Christian. You aren't free to have that. And so, through that, we were able to talk a little bit more um, about what it means to follow Jesus, how you don't have to change the religion on your identity card. Um, You can pray to Jesus in a mosque, you can pray to Jesus anywhere, you can talk to your Christian friends about Jesus, and it doesn't make you. Any worse of a Muslim. Um, And she was, she left that conversation knowing the gospel and knowing that she had opportunity to pray to Jesus. And we praise the Lord for that. I've been praising the Lord for that every day. Um, And then our friend Hannah, who was with us for this entire discussion, listening silently, and I asked her, What do you think? And she shared that her mom had recently become a believer and her dad was not and her mom was hiding from her dad, and that she wanted to follow her mom, but also knew what that would mean with her father. And once again, we see that going into unreached places, being present there is so important, because there are so many people who are ripe, who are ready, who want to know the name of Jesus, but just don't feel like they have the freedom to. So, In all of this, I was thinking about, um, oh, and that was how God showed mercy. But there was also, um, the next day we talked about peace. And so we opened up this interfaith discussion, and we said, please, tell us about peace. And so every Christian in the room was ready with a story. We had stories from the Old Testament, like Joseph sparing his brothers in Genesis. Um, We had stories about Jesus. I mean, Jesus was just a peacemaker continually throughout his life, Um, And then stories about the disciples who didn't share the name of Jesus with war but chose instead to share with love. And so we just get story after story after story and our facilitator wisely realizes that only the Christians have shared. And so she takes a step back and she says, okay, thank you so much, everybody. I would love to hear from one of our Muslim friends about a story of peace from your holy text. And we sat in a place of silence for three minutes, while all of these Muslim young adults who know their scripture couldn't think of a story that would compare to what they had heard from the Bible. And in that way, we saw that once again, Jesus' name was exalted high, that he truly is the Prince of Peace. And we were able to have more conversations coming out of that time, but it was a powerful way to end our interfaith discussions on that last day. And so what I learned uh, and what really made this verse stick out to me was that our Lord isn't a God of favoritism. He isn't distant and far away from us, And he isn't silent or removed from the lives of unbelievers, especially the ones who are seeking him. But instead, we serve a God of mercy, of peace, and love who desires for all of his creation to know the name of Jesus Christ. So thank you so much for listening to this report, to some of these stories. Um, If you wouldn't mind just joining me in prayer and just really taking a second to align our hearts with God's because from what I've seen and from what I have read in the Bible, I truly believe that each individual that I got a chance to serve with, God is seeking them. God wants them to know Jesus in a deeper way or just to know Jesus at all. So if you would just join me in prayer. Lord, we praise you, for you are holy and good. You are merciful and just. You are a God of peace and of love. Lord, we believe that you want this world to know the name of Jesus as their personal savior. We believe that you want to have a relationship with each individual that we've heard stories about today. So God, we, we lift up this people group in Indonesia. God, we ask that you would just create a new movement of Jesus' name being lifted high, of full families converting to know Jesus. Lord, that there wouldn't be anything standing in their way, that they would be completely free to know you. Lord, we lift up the Liz, June, and uh, Hannah, Lord, for you are already working in their hearts. You are giving them amazing questions to ask. You are putting people in their lives who will share the name of Jesus. You're using the Christian and Missionary Alliance International Workers to reach these people the young people who are going to affect the entire next generation and how they raise their kids. And Lord, you're even using them to affect the older generation who's more stuck in their ways, as we heard and we praise because Hannah's mother has come to know Jesus as her savior. So Lord, we just ask that you would continue working personally with them. But we also pray for the small church there, God, for the body of believers that is faithfully listening for your call, that is working hard in your name, that wants to share the name of Jesus with their brothers and sisters, the people that they have grown up beside, the people that they went to school with, the people that they work with. Would you just give them a new passion for the Muslims in their area? Would you protect them from persecution? Would you protect their hearts from becoming hard? Lord, we know that although this is just a glimpse of one country, you are doing this all over the world. So Lord, we praise you. We thank you for the small part that you allow us to play in your beautiful plan of bringing your kingdom to this world. We praise you, God, and we thank you. In your son's name we pray. Amen.